the Bible draws a lot of comparisons between naval vessels and the church. And we hear the old song, the good old gospel shit, and a few songs like that that, that we sing around here. And uh, in many ways, the, the church can be compared to a sailing vessel, uh, a gospel ship, a naval vessel. And our text also today is a good example of that. So if you would, uh, just stand for the reading. Now, I've got several verses here, so if you uh, have difficulty standing, you don't have to. But uh, if you would stand for reading of uh, about seven verses, I would appreciate it in honor of the Lord. Psalms 107 verse 23 says, They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lift up the waves thereof. They mount up the heaven to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. How many times have you felt like you're at your wit's end? That means you just, your brain ain't smart enough to figure a way out of the predicament or trouble that you've got yourself into. And I can imagine being at a, uh, in a storm in an in a ocean vessel, uh, and I, I get seasick. Uh, the only time I went out in an ocean vessel, I got sick and was throwing up most of the time. So this reeling to and fro and all that kind of gets to me. And I, I can imagine how perplexed a person might be in a great storm. How helpless a person feels upon the sea in a time of storm. You can be at your wit's end. Then they cry. See, when you get to the point where... There's nothing you can do about it. That's a good time to cry unto the Lord. In fact, we ought to be going to Him even before you get in trouble. But they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So He bringeth them unto their desired haven the haven of rest. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we love you today and we thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy, for your tender guidance, for your long-suffering to us in that you would not have any would perish, but that we would all come to the knowledge of the truth and to repentance. We pray, God, that through your word today that you would help us, Lord, to complete our journey and not become a castaway with many that have found their lives to be shipwrecked, but that we might be able, in the midst of our trouble and toil, to call upon your name and that you would deliver us. Now give us this wisdom today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated. As I said, the church is like a ship. A ship is a, a form of conveyance over any medium other than land. Did you know that? I'm sure Joe probably knew that. This is all new to me. But they also have uh, what we call airships and spaceships. 
And uh, as I like to point out today, the old gospel ship, it really is making a journey not over water, but it's a spiritual journey over spiritual waters. And it has a chartered course and destination that is not of this world. We face a lot of storms on this journey, a lot of troubles along the way. And there's a lot of dangers in our journey toward heaven. The Bible speaks of a sea monster called Levithom. And many storms and perils that are at sea. And I suppose that our spiritual journey is also faced with many monsters, especially the devil. Many things raise up their head and try to destroy and wreck our ships, destroy our lives, and keep us from arriving at our destination. And sometimes we are at our wit's end and can only cry to God for help to get us through some of the troubles and trials that we go through. And I know many of you have faced these storms. And as a song once said, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he just calms me. Because I get all worked up sometimes over things and I'm sure that you do too. But our journey toward heaven is like a journey on a ship. Even our language that we speak about in the English language is seasoned with a lot of references to ships. The suffix ship, which is a word at the end of a word, is used to express quality or condition or the state of being, the state of a thing. For example, friendship uh, is all about the quality and trust and loyalty that friends have for one another. A good friendship is a friendship that it has a lot of trust and faithfulness and loyalty. Now our spelling of ship, uh, actually the word ship comes from us from an old English word. My, my grandmother used to speak old English words. She was still, she learned to write out of the Bible so she spoke, uh, spoke like King James, okay? Thou's and thus's and stuff like that. She would say kiver instead of cover. And even to this day I tease my wife and say let's kiver up. And she always wants to correct me. <laughs> It's cover-up, not cover-up. <laughs> but I, I have fond memories of that. But the old English word that we get for ship comes from the word skip. And it's uh, also where we get the word skipper from, who is the, the master of a ship. And, and the word skip means state. It means state. Our current spelling, though, comes from the Dutch word for the same thing, which is spelt S-C-H-I-P. And if you pronounced that, you would come up with ship. <laughs> okay, because we throw the uh, CH in there. And, uh, so that's where we get the word ship from, which means state. Ships have historically represented nations and their power and influence around the world. If we want to show a force over in the Persian Gulf, we'll send a battle carrier group over there and aircraft and and everybody stands up and takes notice when you see that group come in. And, and the church is no different. The church sends ships out uh, as states. As each one flies the flag of the nation that it represents. And, the, and the, it's like a little city, a little state 
of the home nation. When Columbus sailed the ocean blue, they, that was a ship sent from Queen, whatever her name is, from Spain. It was actually a state of Spain that was extended out to the Americas. And when they found land, they claimed it for Spain. And we as the church, we represent our state, which is the kingdom of God. We fly the flag that represents our Lord, the old ship of Zion. But seldom does a ship take such a journey as the one we are on all alone. With Columbus, there was the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, or something to that effect. And, of course, the Mayflower was not the only vessel that came over with the pilgrims. There were many ships. So today I want to talk about five ships of the church. Five ships of the church. And since I have five points, I have to move along a little faster than I normally would because I can take an hour and ten minutes sometimes on three points. So I'm going to you pray for me that I won't get too many rabbit trails here and I'll stick to my notes for your benefit today so you can do some things. But the first ship we want to talk about is relationships. Again, the word ship means the state of a relation. When you're talking about a relationship you are talking about the state of that relationship. Here is the ship that needs to be very sound in our walk with God and in this life. Because, you know, there's a lot of folks, their relationships are kind of like the ships that many refugees from Haiti and Cuba take off on. And they're not sound enough and they end up becoming shipwrecked. And they never arrive at their destination Many of these relationships are lost at sea and, and um, people become shipwrecked. Marriages are broken up. Friendships are broken apart. And even people in church uh, break their relationships and leave one another and have hostile feelings. The reason for this is they have left out the key to a healthy relationship. The thing that makes this ship sound is that it is a, a multi, it is a two-dimensional relationship. No relationship can exist without two people. You, you know, that's what it is. It's one person and another and it deals with their relationship, how they interact with one another. So there is a multi-dimensional thing to this ship. Uh, the Bible speaks of the only two relationships that matters. And that is the relationship we have with God and the relationship we have with each other. Jesus said that when he was talking about the greatest commandments of the entire Bible, he summarized the entire Bible up into two relationships. The relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Matthew 22, verse 37-39, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, 
and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, he said. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I believe both of these relationships are dependent on the other. We can't have a sound relationship with our friends and our wives and husbands and our church if our relationship with God is on the rocks. If we are sinking in our relationship with God, it will affect all of your relationships. You will make the wrong friends. You will make the wrong decisions. You will marry the wrong people. Many problems people go through in relationship simply because they have failed to get the only relationship that really matters right. That they need to have a good, sound relationship with God. And that is the key. On the other hand, our relationships in the world can also affect our relationship with God. Jesus said, or... John wrote, he said, if, if a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. You hear that? Amen. Listen to that. I want to say it again. If a man or woman say they love God and hate their brother or sister, they're a liar. I got one amen out of it. But that's what it says. 1 John 4 verse 20. I didn't write that. God did. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? If we can't get along with one another in the church, if we can't get along with one another in our families, then that is telling me that our relationship with God is going to suffer. You see, there is a relationships or a proper relationship must be scriptural. For example, husbands are told to love their wives. They're commanded to love their wives. Well, why on earth are we commanded to love our wives? Because women need love. Is somebody listening to me? Women, do you need love? The thing, the need that a woman needs most in a relationship is to be loved by her man. Amen. And I believe that includes romance. Because romance is love in work clothes. Or overalls. It's love with its sleeves rolled up. We think as men that if we... Go out there and earn a living and work and work hard and bring the money in that that's showing them that we love them. No, that's not romance. In fact, that can kill romance. Amen. Because we don't think the way women think. We don't need love as much. A man can go around people spitting on him, abusing him and all that, and we can still get by and it don't hurt our feelings if nobody loves us. But a woman needs love. So husbands, love your wives. But he tells us how to love our wives. 
even as Christ loved the church. You see, there's a relationship. If we can love our wives the way Jesus loves the church, that's a relationship. In fact, marriage, the reason marriage is an abomination when uh, homosexuals get married and stuff isn't because God hates homosexuals. He hates homosexuality. But He loves homosexuals. But the relationship of a man and woman is supposed to be the same as the relationship between the church and God and Christ. He died for the church. But He loves the church. He wants to lift the church up. He wants to share everything with the church. And let me tell you, Jesus can be quite romantic. All right? <laughs> Amen. Say, Brother Stanley, how would you know you're a man? Well, I'm getting a taste of what it's like to be a woman when I get the Holy Ghost sometimes. <laughs> First of all, I have to be humble. I can't be proud. I told you this morning, I, I didn't get the Holy Ghost until I learned how to be humble like my wife. And as soon as I did, I got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but... Uh, it goes on to say here that, uh, let me see if I can throw this thing away here. Then went and followed it off, fell off the deep end here. It must have been a flat world and ran off the end. Wives now are told to honor their husbands. Now, some of you women don't understand that. Well, I ain't going to honor him. <laughs> he don't deserve no honor. That lazy bum. See, you, don't, you get mad at us when we work too much and you get mad at us when we don't work. Get mad at us when we're too busy. Mad at us when we're too idle. I guess the secret is just be about business. Okay? <laughs> and then when she needs love, give her to her. But husbands, wives are supposed to honor their husbands. Honor is respect. And if I had to tell people, if I'm giving marriage counseling, I'll be giving some marriage counseling this evening. I'm going to tell these two that as long as you give those two things, you will have a healthy relationship. Husbands, as long as you show your wife love and romance, and they go together, and wives, as long as you show your husband respect, and I'm not talking about when you go down on him and knocking him in the dirt and talking bad about him in front of other people. Amen. That's not honor. That ain't respect. You need to uplift your husband. You need to give him respect. The thing that makes me mad, I've been mad in this church because my wife did something that I considered disrespectful to me. Of course, we had to work it out later on. But I value respect. Much more than I even value love. I value respect as much as she values love and romance. And as long as we understand that and we give each other what we need, we're always going to have a healthy relationship. But if we want to put this toward God, if we can't learn to give love and respect to each other, how can we give God our worship and our reverence and praise? Because we've got to love Him with all our heart and mind and soul. And we've got to reverence Him. That is fear of the Lord. Hmm. Oh me. Let me go to the next one because I can jump on this rabbit trail for a while. Fellowship is the next one. 
It's the vehicle we use to build and maintain relationships often. And it too is two-dimensional. In 1 John 1 verse 3 it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. What? The reason we're telling you what we see and hear, our testimonies and preaching and all that, is for what purpose? So that you might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, the early church, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly. This is the one that were baptized in Jesus' name that became believers. It said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. I want you to know this church picnic is just as important as this service is. Our movie night is just as important as this service is. And I don't know why anybody would say Sunday is more important than Wednesday night. It is the time when the saints of God get together to have fellowship not only with each other but with the holy angels of heaven and those that have gone on before and to have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you. What purpose of this? That your joy may be full. Amen. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now listen to this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, not them, but him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. There's some more liars. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. And you can't say you're in fellowship with God if you're also in fellowship with the wickedness of the world. That would be a bad fellowship. That'd be like stepping out on your wife. How many would like to see their mate running around having fellowship with all kinds of other people? They should be having fellowship with you. So again it says you're a liar. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. See, John's referring to fellowship with God and the saints. Not fellowship with the world. Now I believe we need to associate with the world. But we don't need to fellowship with the world. We need to fellowship with the people in our church. I believe there's people sometimes know people in the world. Sinners better than they know people in the church. Saints. Oh you say the more we get to know of each other the more we find out we're not really saints. Well they're finding out the same thing about you that you're finding out about them, what we find out is that we're not all as righteous as we thought we were and that we all need one another and we need to pray one for another that we might be healed. Not talk bad about one another. Tire down one another. A fellowship is to let us have a relationship that grows. 
It is time spent together. See, the Bible says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. What Paul was quoting here was a heathen a poet by the name of Menander. Not to show that he agreed with the philosophy of this heathen poet, but to show that even in the world, they didn't think it was a good idea for you to hang around with bad company. Somebody say amen. amen. How many mothers know that it's not good to let their children run around with all sorts till you know who they are? Don't just let your children fellowship with anybody. And neither should you. You should set the right example. See, sometimes we though do mistake this fellowship. This, you know, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness and unrighteousness. What communion has light with darkness. Now, some of us have taken that and tried to apply it to other believers. I've seen churches that won't fellowship with other churches because they don't believe exactly the way they believe. I've had people come, say they, uh, they want to come to my church, but because I believe in the rapture, they don't want to come here. They don't want to fellowship with me. All I ask is that you believe in Jesus Christ. I'll fellowship with you. As long as you ain't working against me, as Jesus says, you're for me. We both call on the name of Jesus. And you know, the, the disciples that Jesus had, they wanted the fire to come down and consume those people that was preaching Jesus, but wasn't with them. There's a lot of denominations out there doing the same thing. I want you to know, if the church could get together and fellowship one with another, we would come into the unity of the faith. We would have the unity of the Spirit and the power of God. But because of division that has come into our heart and the, the lack of fellowship, we have cut ourselves off from the world and the Word. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so the wits of one sharpens the wits of another, basically. That is, when we get around other folks that don't quite believe the same thing we do, there's a little friction. But that's where truth is found. You see, there wasn't no friction, I'd still be a Catholic. Or I'd still be a sinner, actually, if somebody hadn't put some friction there and conviction or something that made me feel uneasy. Sometimes we don't want to fellowship. Sometimes we don't go down here to Cleveland and fellowship with them because they, they may not believe the way we believe. How do you know? How do you know what they believe if you ain't been with them? See, I discovered something here when I went down there. Been a long time ago, Deb and I went down there to deliver some pews and she got in her pants. That's the first time I'd seen her in pants in a long time. But she was come to roll up her sleeves and do some work. And we loaded up all them pews and took them down there. And Bishop Lawson says, Well, Sister Stennett, you, you come ready to work, you wore pants. And she thought, Oh, he must be condemning me for wearing pants. And she never has yet went back again with a pair of pants on. But when we went down there and spent two or three days with him, we found out that Sister Lawson and his daughter both wear pants. They only wear dresses to church. And some of their congregation, they were coming up here, they were afraid that we were going to see them smoking until they saw everybody out front in a gaggle smoking. 
That's the devil more people smoke in your church than it is ours. It made us feel good to know we could light up. We don't know what people believe till you get with them. You might find that they believe some things you don't believe, but that's what a whole convention's about. It is to get a conventional wisdom to arrive at something through, if everybody agrees with you, then what do you got? Probably a lie. The Bible says wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many go in that way, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be it find it. So I can guarantee you, if you got the truth, you're going to be at odds with somebody. Fellowship. We need to associate with the world, but not fellowship. And we need to fellowship with the church. And but that don't mean we need to join up with somebody that's teaching something that ain't true, but have fellowship with them. Nothing wrong with going to another church. So let me get to the next one before you get weary. Discipleship. Now, so far we've taken two ships from lands of sin and war, and we're going from port to port with relationships and fellowship. Amen. Those will take you a long way on your journey. Uh, having that good fellowship and builds up the good relationships. These ships are like carnival cruise ships, though, compared to discipleship. You see, those others are joy rides. They're like taking a vacation. Relationship with the Lord, that's beauty. Fellowship with one another, that's a good part of church. Think about it. That's the picnics and, and all the fun. <laughs> but now we come to a ship called the discipleship. This is a slave ship. Oh, I've heard a lot about these slave ships. But in practical purposes, it is a slave ship. When we board this ship, we are expected to forsake all that we have and come and follow Jesus Christ and serve Him. Luke 14.33 says, So Luke, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciples. To get on board this ship, you've got to leave father, mother, family, land, all the things that you held allegiances to. You've got to lay it all down. And the Bible says, whosoever will. Let me tell you, this is a big ship. But it was made big enough to hold everybody. It's the biggest ship there is. Amen. I want you to know the, the discipleship has got enough room for everybody. Whosoever will, let him come. But you've got to forsake all that you have. Or you cannot enter in to be his disciple. See, we're not only expected to learn of Christ as a disciple, but we're expected to follow Christ and serve Christ. Acts 20 verse 22 tells us how Paul described that relationship. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bound, or bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, 
Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. That I may finish my course. Amen. He was on course to heaven. But I want you to know when you get on board the discipleship, Amen. You're on board to serve and work for Jesus Christ. Not do your own thing. Not do the things that you want to do. Not go back here or go back yonder. The Bible says if you take your hands to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You get on board this ship. The discipleship. It is certainly a slave ship. But it is destination freedom amen you work your way there may be you see as I say it's the largest ship of all but unfortunately only thousands are there not millions because most people will not decide they will not pay the price for fair on this ship. Many will not are not willing to forsake their careers, their worldly friends, their worldly pleasures, and they lose out on taking this discipleship. Jesus said, Yet we are commanded to go and make disciples of folks. He commanded us to baptize them in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And we know grammatically that means there's only one name for all three, and that name is Jesus, the only name given to us whereby we must be saved. We're commanded to baptize and teach all nations. Teach them how to be a disciple. That's what it's all about. This is a discipleship. We need to teach one another to observe all things that He has commanded us. And if you've paid the fare, then you've got a right to be called His disciple. But if you're not, you're on another ship. Maybe your ship is the Titanic, but I know mine's going to make it home because it's the gospel ship. Let me hit another ship here. It's called the worship now, we must also spend a great part of our journey on this ship. Worship is derived from the old English word also. It comes from the word worth-ship. Worship means to let the Lord know what He's worth. That's what, if you want to put it in a nutshell, it means you're letting the Lord know what He's worth. The worth or the value of something can only be determined by the value of what people are willing to pay for it. And I want you to know, to get to be a Christian on this ship and worship the Lord, I want you to know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the best that heaven had to offer, was crucified and paid the price for you to get on board this ship. It is the most valuable fare, the most costly but the beauty of it is your fare has been paid. And if our Lord is willing to pay that price, oughtn't we be willing to show Him what He's worth to us? Amen. 
<laughs> you know, recently I read that somebody paid $4.4 million for Babe Ruth's baseball jersey. $4.4 billion or million dollars for a baseball jersey. You would say, Brother Stanley, there ain't no shirt worth no $4.4 million. It is if somebody's willing to pay for it. Now, I'm sure that that money was extra money by the man that bought it. He didn't take his light bill to pay it. He didn't take his rent or his savings and deplete out and close out his account. He probably had that kind of money to throw away. I'm sure because it's pocket change, walking around money. And I'm sure that what he paid for that was just so he could hang it on the wall and say, look at me. Look how cool I am. People pay so much money to look cool and uphold an image. If I really had to think about all the things we spend money on for things that we really don't need, it would blow your mind. We spend money on entertainment. People say, I can't pay tithes, but they probably pay two, three hundred dollars a month for their cable bill. And they probably got three or four cell phones in a plan that costs them hundreds of dollars. They got pleasures, they get to Dollywood and they get to do all that. Well, the cosmetics industry is worth a fortune. Movies, food, cigarettes, drugs, pornography. You add it all up. People pay a lot of money for things that they don't really need. But sometimes, I'm telling you, people get tighter and blown your skin when it comes to trying to get a little money for an offering. They won't give a dollar or two. What is your worship worth? What is Jesus worth? What is the kingdom of God worth? Jesus says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you pay for your life? If you were ransomed today and somebody was going to kill you, how much would you pay for your life? Think about it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what He thought your soul was worth. But what is Jesus worth to you? Worship means to let him know what he's worth. Abraham, when he, the thing that was the most valuable to Abraham was his son Isaac. And God asked for Isaac one day, asked him to offer that sacrifice. And Abraham didn't question God because he knew that that's what worship was. When Isaac asked him the question, Father, where are we going? Where? He said, we're going to worship on that mountain. He said, but Father, I don't see no lamb. I don't see no wood. We don't have the instruments of worship. Oh, yes, you do. Because worship 
basically boils down to this. It is a sacrifice that you give to God because He is worth it all. He said, God will provide the sacrifice. Let me tell you something. If God's asking for it, He will make sure you got it to give. He ain't going to take nothing from you that you don't have. Let me get to the last one here. Stewardship. The fifth ship. The stewardship is a merchant ship. The Bible says, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. A steward is a person who manages another's property his finances, or his affairs. When you take the stewardship, you're the captain. You get to be the captain of this ship. But the ship and its contents is not yours. You're the captain. Everything aboard belongs to the owner, but you're in charge. You make the decisions. And your wages depend upon where you sail to and what you do with the property, money, and affairs that's on board. The requirement here is that you invest the talents and blessings that God has given to you on behalf of the kingdom of God and enter into His joy when He says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Yes, Apostle Paul wrote, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required, I say it is required in stewards, that a man be found faithful. Some will have wasted all that God has given them with riotous living as the prodigal son did and squandered it all away and when they've left down to nothing, but only the hush to feed the pigs, when they're wallowing in the pig pen of life, then they come to themselves. Oh, but I want you to know, it wasn't the prodigal son that the story's about. It's a prodigal God. Because prodigal means excessive. There's more on the boat. And he knew that. He had taken everything he could, but he knew that there was more back home in the Father's house. Let me tell you, as long as you haven't left this world, as long as you haven't arrived at your safe haven, as long as you haven't ended your journey, there's still an opportunity to change your life and repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Hmm. To be found worthy. You see that man. Oh maybe one of them went there. On his ship he finds. Maybe. A hundred pounds of hamburger. And he said. Aha, I'll take this and I'll make some hamburgers. Amen. And I'll sell it to the crew. Right. You see it's a merchant ship. The point is to get a profit. With the goods that you have. 
And the goods that we have are pretty dadbling good. I want you to know the virtuous woman in the Bible says that she considers her merchandise and she considers it good. Because she brings her food from afar. <laughs> it's His goods. What we're selling here today is eternal life. And the price is free. But the reward for selling it is mine. <laughs> and yours. And those that share. So I take my 100 pounds of hamburger and share it out. And I make money back to double that. Another fellow says, I got, I got some hot dog buns or hamburger buns. We'll put those burgers on hamburger buns and, and we'll fix that up. So he increases. Another fellow says, I got some ketchup. I got some ketchup, but I was afraid I might lose this. I hid it. I hid it over there on the boat. Underneath the poop chute. They got poop chutes on boats? Mm -hmm. Is that what, what, what goes in there? Poop? <laughs> but he hid it in the poop chute. See? And some little old squirrely dog went over and ate it. So he comes back and says, Well, we would have had some hamburgers and ketchup. <laughs> but uh, all I got left is this poop. Folks, let me tell you something. He said he grabbed that servant, that unprofitable servant, and threw him into outer darkness and says they're going to be weeping and gnashing their teeth. I hope they got a toothbrush too if he's eating that stuff. But in conclusion, <laughs> you know on our trip and on our journey, we are on the gospel ship, but we're going with a lot of these other ships relationships, fellowship, discipleship, stewardship, and worship. These are all necessary to get us there. It's a fleet. See, one ship, a battleship by, or an aircraft carrier by itself ain't going to make it. It's got to have a fleet with it. <laughs> you see? It's an awesome force when everything works together. And that's what our ships and our journey should be. In conclusion, the life of a sailor is a difficult and perilous journey. And so is the saints. Sometimes we feel like we're being pushed a little too hard by the pastor, the man at the helm. But we need to realize that he's only taking orders from the master, from the skipper. Sir uh, William Scott wrote this about that. He says, I have stood on the deck of a ship while she was toiling upstream with wind and water against her. And I have gone up to the man at the wheel and said, Jack, why don't you ease off a point or two? You see how it would relieve her? But the answer was, no, I can't love. That is the point of the compass the captain gave me. And I must keep her to it. But man, I remonstrated. If you keep her as she is, soon the bulwarks will stove in and, and there is every chance that under the fearful strain she may spring a leak. That's none of my business. It's the captain's lookout's job. All I have to do is obey his orders. 
was the man's answer. The captain, however, understood his business, and we arrived safe in harbor. Sometimes if we do exactly as our shipmaster's commands, it appears as if our business would be ruined, our reputation lost, as if indeed we should be totally wrecked. That, however, is the captain's lookout. All we have to do is simply obey, to trust and obey.